Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Concert, aka Kevin O'Comment, aka Kevin O'Bomber. Two new ones, aka via Instagram, Kevin O'Contest, and aka oh <laughs> via Bill's dad, Kevin O'Connell. Former Patriots third string quarterback. Chris, I don't know about you, but I'm still basking in the greatness of last night's games. That was unbelievable. What a night. It was an unbelievable night. The biggest event of the evening was for sure, uh, coverage wise, the Kobe Bryant night that they had in Los Angeles. Um, how about the stars that were out there? I mean, Kareem, Bill oh Russell. My. Iverson's out there holding up his phone. I mean, there was there was celebrities, there was uh Hall of Fame basketball players. It was quite the night uh in Los Angeles. And well, first things first, what do you think about the retiring of two numbers? I've never seen that before. I think both numbers should be retired. I just wish there was a way where both spots wouldn't have to be taken up, you know, up where all the jerseys are. That's all. I, I'm very happy both were retired because both should be retired. It'd be weird if a player ever wore eight or 24 again for the Lakers. So you think maybe that what they should have done is like put one banner up and then have eight slash 24? I don't know, but then that might look really, you know, tacky, right? If you do that. So what the point is, it's like it, it was the right decision to retire both. I'm happy they did that. All right. Last night, obviously, he does the speech, which got a, a lot of good feedback, I think. And then it, it gets weird because even if people disliked Kobe Bryant over his time in the NBA, it is one of those things where now when he's having that moment, there's a level of respect that comes from everybody right like it's like he was a fun guy to hate there's no doubt about that and i do think that in this day and age it has been lost a little bit right he always felt like he didn't mind being the villain right he didn't mind being the bad guy he knew that he was on one hand extremely popular on another hand extremely unpopular and i do think that there's a bit of a drought of that. I think it's almost like when I'm watching him last night and I'm thinking about it, it's like there's not a ton of guys that are intensely unlikable at this point. And people found reasons not to like Kobe Bryant, whether it was the scowl, whether it was, you know, the way he carried himself, whether it was him and Shaq having the falling out. Some people don't like the way he played. And then obviously the indiscretions off the court that took place in Denver, that one hung on his head for a long time. And so there are a myriad of reasons that people could find not to like Kobe. And I do think there's a bit of a drought of that throughout the NBA right now. Generally, most of the players that are extremely high profile players are rather likable. And so it's almost like, I don't want to say he's the last one. He was like this uber competitor and, and all this, but you look around and like, it's like, I don't know. Like the especially the young ones, Giannis and Porzingis and all these guys, they're all like super likable. And even with LeBron, and I get people, you know, didn't like him during the Miami thing, but then he went back to Cleveland and he won. So that was a kind of redeeming thing. And the other thing is like the second you start really hating LeBron, like you see some story about him like building a hundred schools or something. You're like, come on. <laughs> like, I mean, he's, cl he's clearly not a bad guy, yeah. right? Like, I mean, if you hate him as a basketball player, that's fine, but he's clearly not like some kind of jerk or some kind of bad guy whereas kobe would could many times give off that vibe and not care 
Like he didn't care if you thought he was a jerk. All he cared about was winning. All we got, you know, is really Russell Westbrook. He's the he's the heir apparent yeah. to Kobe Bryant. I think that's right? true. But besides that, people try to find reasons to hate LeBron, right, with the Miami years. But since then, I feel like it's all love for most of the superstars. I mean, there's subsets of people who don't like Chris Paul or they don't like Anthony Davis or they might not like Stephen Curry because the anti-hype, right? But at the same time, for the most part, it's all love for these guys. That's really interesting because part of that made rooting for Kobe, rooting against Kobe so exciting was it's just the fact that he really was such such a polarizing figure in the game. So last night, really, I, I thought it was a great tribute to him. I really enjoyed all the speeches with Magic and Bus. Yeah, so it was uh, Kobe Bryant night last night in Los Angeles. Uh, the other thing I'll say is regarding his, like, I guess his career as a whole and everybody celebrating. And you saw all these players, I mean, on social media last night. Like, it was a big event for sure to see him, you know, having his his numbers retired and do, uh, all the speeches and whatnot. I think, like, I don't know. I, I, I was trying to think of, like, how I how I will remember him. And I guess, obviously, uh, a super competitor, a guy that, like, I almost view him as this polarizing guy, right? You know, every time his name comes up, like it's a fight amongst NBA fans. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's the true. weirdest thing. He, unlike anybody I can remember, as soon as his name gets brought up, and I suppose that speaks to his greatness, but as soon as his name gets brought up, there's going to be an argument about it. My lasting memory for him, man, is just, it was kind of like last night's game, right? KD got off to a bad start, but you know that he can get catch fire at any time. And with Kobe, it was always like that, where when the Lakers are playing up late, I grew up in the East Coast, Lakers are playing late, you either want to stay up late to watch the Sports Center highlights, or you're going to stay up late if the game's on national TV. Because with Kobe, like you never felt like the team was out of it. Really, no matter how he started. So, so for me, like that was the exciting part of Kobe. Like the, the debates, you know, like I loved getting in arguments, you know, whether he was the best player in the game or not. But like in some ways, it's like the debates almost distract from the product in the court where it's like, here's one of the rare players that you're always in the game anytime you have Kobe on your team. You're always in the game anytime you have Kevin Durant, anytime you have LeBron, anytime you have Michael Jordan. Like those are those type of players, those elite level players playmakers or scorers or however you want to categorize them like Kobe to me that's what he was just he always gave the Lakers a chance that was the exciting part about it and I just want to read one quote that Ben Rohrbach surfaced in top Mamba moments yesterday in his article on Yahoo Sports it it captures Kobe perfectly for me it's from Bonzi Wells after Kobe dropped 40 nine games in a row he scored 40 points Bonzi Wells said this after the game Everyone had their hands in Kobe's face. My mama had a hand in his face, and he still hit it. Kobe is playing at an unbelievable level and hitting shots. I feel like I'm an all-right defender, and Ruben Patterson's an all-right defender, and he is still making us feel like we were no defenders. That's what it was like watching Kobe. It didn't matter what the defense did. He could still score on you. There's no doubt about that. Um, so anyways, it was Kobe night, and then there was a game that was being played. Yes, there were games. <laughs> yeah, well, the Lakers, just that particular one, Lakers hung in there until the very end, obviously had a chance, and then were done in by Kevin Durant, who the Warriors have done rather well without Curry and Draymond since we last spoke. Yeah, they've been terrific. I know, you know, last night's game, no Stephen Curry, no Draymond Green, so, you know, that helped out the Lakers, but at the same time, 
Look, man, like, you know, Warriors are playing extremely well, right? Uh, Kevin Durant has elevated his play last night, got off to a slow start scoring the ball, and he just ended it ferociously, right? It was kind of a good Kobe tribute in that way. But I'm impressed by these young Lakers. Lonzo played really well last night. Brandon Ingram had moments. Larry Nance had that ridiculous dunk. Julius Randle rebounded the hell out of the ball like he always does and played fairly well. Kyle Kuzma had a big scoring night. Josh Hart had some moments off the bench. I, I, I like a lot of these young Lakers. I think their future is extremely bright, and last night was a good example. Just just the way these guys play when they kind of all click, they did a good job hanging in that game. Okay, let me ask you this. If you're running the Lakers, if you're Rob Palenka, and you look at that young talent that you've got, you're well aware that at some point you need to decide, much like once upon a time, Golden State did, and they said, all right, we are building around Clay and Steph and Draymond. Who do you view or who would you put in the category of your core? I'm dedicating to them for the long term. Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Those are the two. You could throw Kuzma in there as well, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like I, I still wouldn't put him in the same class in terms of upside as Ingram and Ball. But I mean, like if I'm choosing three, then it'd be Ingram, Ball, and Kuzma. I, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't. I don't know about anybody else. I, any, any. I mean, there's like really very, very few players in the league that I think you really want to hold on extremely tight to if, if the right deal's not available, you know, depending on your situation. So like with the Lakers are a young rebuilding team, you you need to stay flexible. You need to stay reactive. And I mean, really none of them. I mean, but Ingram and Ball would be the guys that like I look at and I'm super excited about having them part of my core, no matter what happens moving forward. I know you were watching the Boston game last night, which was super interesting because Boston was up virtually the entire game, and then Oladipo made a big run. He ties the game, pulls Indiana, they get a lead, and then ultimately they fall to Boston, that Terry Rozier steal and dunk at the end of the game. One side note, the ringer curse was broken because Oladipo was still playing extremely well despite your Oladipo piece last week. I saw you tweeting about Tatum. I had the opportunity to see him in person this past weekend for the first time since Summer League, and my God, I mean, he is. There's a couple things here. Number one, you know, when you're putting up numbers on a losing team, then, like, in the end, somebody has to score. So I'm not all that impressed. But when you can put up real numbers in a winning context, he is leading the league in three-point percentage, and he has all kinds of moves to go to the basket. Like if you didn't know he was a rookie, you wouldn't know he's a rookie. If that makes sense. (laughs) If you just watch the games, right? Yeah. You would think he's like 26. He just looks young, right? I mean, (laughs) Kevin, he is unbelievable. And the other thing is I got a little bit of a different impression getting to see him in person because he is, he is bigger than maybe I imagined or thought on TV. Big kid, broad shoulders, and he's tall. And I mean, I just, I, I have no idea what the friggin', you know, ceiling is for him because I don't know. I mean, I watched him the first night and obviously I saw him in Summer League. I saw him the first night and my first two impressions were just, holy mackerel, did they nail this? But then after seeing him <laughs> this past weekend and obviously some of those highlights from that game last night are just absurd, they absolutely nailed it with him, Kevin. They really did. I mean, put it this way. He's a 19-year-old rookie starting on the team with the best record in the Eastern Conference. And he's 
doing his job extremely well, whether it's hitting spot-up threes, whether it's attacking closeouts, whether it's right, making the right pass, whether it's team rebounding, whether it's defending his man. And he doesn't usually defend the best player on the opposing team. That's for Jalen Brown if it's a wing. But Tatum has done his job defensively as well. He's a 19-year-old rookie with very few notable holes in his game and that is an extremely rare thing to say about any player and that's why to your point chris that you look at him and you don't think he's 19 years old you wouldn't know that he's a rookie you would think that he's a savvy veteran who just looks like a teenager (laughs) because he still looks extremely young but he doesn't play like it And, and look man the impressive thing you know with any rookie always what i look for is First, you want to see their strengths translate, right? You want to make sure that that begins to translate to the pro level. Um, and if that doesn't, well, then you start getting a little bit worried. But with Tatum, you also you also look for some of their weaknesses or some of their areas of improvement to start getting better. And with Tatum, that's exactly what happened. I mean, at Duke, he was not a good defender. He, he was just not good defensively. And I think part of that can be kind of put on the ankle injury he had early in the season. I've I've heard that he just wasn't able to get into the right shape um, that he would have that he otherwise would have had it not been for that injury. So and yet now he's you know he's in perfect shape, he's healthy, and he's defending at a good level. You look at the extended range, he's shooting threes. That's something he's done every year of his life since high school. He's constantly been extending his range. So now he hits spot up threes. The next step, hitting threes off the dribble. And that'll come in time. I think I, I feel safe saying that. And with passing the ball, he's gotten better at that as well. That was something he didn't do a lot of at Duke. He was a solid passer, not a great passer. Um, but he's really taken a step there. So it's like hey, what, this 19-year-old player already looks like a guy you feel like you can rely on in the playoff situation. I'm, I'm blown away by him. And he was somebody I loved in the draft, and I, I feel like I almost – underrated him despite having him ranked second i mean he he's he's unreal dude it looks like they could really regret that trade yeah listen there is no return on faults yet we just don't know yeah i am only saying i find it hard to believe that i will watch him and think he's going to be better than that other kid because that kid it's it's hard to watch anybody and i mean he's 19 and even like Say like, you know, one of his predecessors and happens to be a Duke kid in Ingram. Like you see it now with Ingram. You see it now. You look at him and you're like, oh man, like this kid could be really, really special. But you, most people didn't see it the first year, right? And I'm saying you already see it with this guy. Like there is no chance he is not going to be amazing. <laughs> None. No chance. He's just. Oh, yeah. And I, I, you know what you know, ran through my mind? I do wonder, because this is clearly outstanding for his development, I wonder what the situation would be if if the injury to Hayward never happens on opening night. You know Hayward is a 30-plus minute-per-game guy and is on the wing. And so you do wonder what would have happened with, with Tatum and his development and our opinion of him because uh, he clearly would not be getting the opportunities getting unless Gordon went down on opening night, right? Isaac Lee, our, our amazing producer of the Ringer NBA show, on the night that Hayward got hurt, right? Me and Isaac are sitting next to each other on the couch in one of the Ringer studios, 
and we're talking about the Celtics with losing Hayward and the opportunities that were going to come for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And Isaac used the phrase, it's the paradoxical serendipity of the moment. And first of all, those are big words. Had to Google them. You might be pausing the show to Google those words together right now. But Isaac's point was, with the loss of Hayward, new opportunities would come for other players to do things they otherwise may not have done. And with Tatum, you like you said, Chris, playing 30-plus minutes per game, Jalen Brown playing 31-plus minutes per game, these young guys getting an opportunity to get, in moments, a feature opportunity, extremely rare, not just on bad teams, but especially on good teams. It's still a horrible thing that Hayward got hurt. But Tatum might be only playing, or Jalen Brown might only be playing, 20 minutes per game in a really restricted role had Hayward stayed healthy. And I think the Celtics would make that trade. They'd be happy with that happening um, in an alternate universe. But at the same time, this could pay off in a big way if Hayward's able to return, whether it's late this season or whether it's the next season, all the experience and opportunity these guys are getting. Because you know what? That's how you get better, is with experience and opportunity. You make a really good point, and I will say, of all the points that you made, I'm very happy to know that you had to go look up the phrase that Isaac used, because I would also have had to look up that phrase, and it is unsurprising to me <laughs> that a phrase like that was used at the ringer. That's how everybody talks at the ringer, and I got to look it all up. They just sit around, they just sit around being smart. <laughs> I, I, I just Googled it again. You know, the, you can look at those words individually and kind, you know, kind of know what they mean. You know what a paradox is. You know what serendipity is. But putting them together, that's the part where it's like, damn, Isaac is smart. Oh, you flatter me, Kevin. <laughs> no worries. Like, there's not a lot of uses of the word together. In Google, uh, the, I mean. the other thing and the jump off on Tatum is clearly he looks amazing. How about this? I posted something last night about how somehow, some way, this rookie class is even better than expectation, right? We thought they were going to be amazing. And like somehow they are exceeding that through the first 30 games of the season. And a guy tweets me and he says, and I want to do a, I want to think about it for a second and, uh, without responding so that we could bring it up on the show today. He said, is there going to be a single lottery bust? Because as I have said, because uh, he said, because he said, because we've got to wait on faults, right? So one of the things is when you go into the draft, you go, all right, every draft has the bust. You just got to try to figure out which one it is. And many times it can be obvious. Many times it can be really surprising. Um, but you go down this thing, Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac. Lori Markinen, uh, Frankie Nicotine, Dennis Smith Jr., Zach Collins, Malik Monk, Luke Kennard, Donovan Mitchell. And you even go, the next one is Bam Adebayo. But if we just go, uh, uh, so Bam Adebayo would have been the last lottery pick. Okay. Of all of those, I do find it hard to come up with like a bust. Like there's always like a flame out, a guy that's like not even in the league in four years. It's hard for me to project any of those guys to not have NBA careers. Yeah, I, I think maybe, you know, Zach Collins is one, but maybe. That's, that's also kind of with me where it's like I just wasn't necessarily as high on him as I would like would have liked to seen him go at 10. I, I, I still think it's a little surprising he went top 10. He can still be a contributor, you know? It depends on the definition of bust. 
Yeah, no, because you still like I don't know. You could flip on a Wizards game, and you still like Jason Smith's had like a decade long career. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, like, I mean so the thing is though, is like some some people will say that's a bust. I don't think that's a bust, right? I think if Zach Collins has a career like that, I think that's perfectly fine. But I, I do think some people would still consider that a bust. So like it, it almost depends on the definition. Like if Mo, if Malik Monk is like Lou Williams, some people will say that's a bust. Even what? though again, like I don't I don't think that's a bust. That's asinine. Or right, listen, the truth is if once you get past, you know, the first what whatever, five picks in like an amazing draft, if you get a long term rotation player, eight man, nine man rotation player, you did well. Yeah, oh, yeah you might have you might have missed on somebody better, but if the guy is a contributor to a winning basketball team and is in your rotation, you did well. The draft's not easy. Like, and you can go back and you can point out like, hey, well, they didn't get, you know, whoever. I don't know. Like they, they maybe some star. Okay, so you missed on some star player, but at least you got a guy that like has played with you, uh, played for you for a long time and has been in the rotation. And so I don't, a bust is somebody that like, Never contributes and then doesn't even have a career. Like the Joe Alexanders of the world. It's like, all right, he's out of the league by the time second contract comes around. With Markel Fultz, you know, once he comes back, I hope people give him time because with any young point guard, mm-hmm. any young point guard that comes into the league, whether they're the number one pick or the number 30 pick, typically, you know, more often than not, those young players need a lot of time to get used to the pace of the game, to get used to the speed and the physicality of the game. And Fultz has played only four games. So when he comes back, there's going to be rust on top of the fact that he's just a rookie. So it it might not look good for him whenever he gets back. It might look pretty bad, but I hope people have kind of the, the foresight um, to understand that like, hey, this guy is going to take time anyway. So I think, I think you know, kind of tie it back to where this began, talking about Tatum. Th- for at least the next two to three years, you know, especially depending on where that pick the Celtics got ends up, if they get it this year with the Lakers pick, top five pick, um, that pick, that deal could look really, really bad for Philly for the next two to three years. But at the same time, that's still not enough time to j- really judge it fairly because Fultz is somebody who it might not be until he's 23, 24 years old where he's really blossoming into a star. You hope it doesn't take that long, but it could because it does for a lot of point guards historically. The important thing is that he continues making progress, um, and hopefully he does once he returns to the court. I'm sure Philly fans are going to get mad at me for saying this because they get mad at everything, (laughs) but I don't think it's a great situation for him and his development because I want the ball in Ben Simmons' hands, and if it's not in his hands, I want it in Embiid's hands. And I think Fultz is a guy that needs the ball in his hands. I don't think he's a guy that you want to be constantly playing off the ball. I think you get the best out of him with the ball in his hands. And and that's not what I want or need if I'm Philly. Simmons is just a, he has got this God-given talent to see the floor and pass like like very few players I've seen in a long time. You know, that's why I was beating the trade down drum. You know, since lottery night, I said the Celtics, and the Lakers and the Sixers should be looking to trade down. 
with the Lakers, I was a little less strong about that because I thought, you know, just take Lonzo. It's it's destiny. But with the Celtics and the Sixers, I was I was saying they should try it. Look the trade down and see if there's a trade that makes sense to do. And part of the reason why is because someone like Malik Monk on paper is a superior fit next to Ben Simmons. And so you could get other assets, whether it's a player on top of that or other future draft picks. Because if you look at what the Celtics got trading from one to three, right? Getting that extra protected Lakers Kings pick. The Sixers could have, in a different world, done the same thing, trading from three to eight or three to nine. And just imagine the package they would have gotten. Um, and maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe it would end up looking bad. Maybe it would have looked like a silly decision for them to do that. But at the same time, I do think with this this 2017 draft class, and this isn't true for many classes at all, but in 2017, I thought there were 10 guys that had a chance at becoming the best player in the draft. 10 guys. From one, Markel Fultz, to 10, I had Donovan Mitchell. Though To top 10 guys, I thought all had a chance to be the best in the draft. And I thought if you trade down, you could end up getting one of those 10 guys and still get more on top of that. And Philly then went the other way. And it could still work out for them because Markel Fultz is still a, is an extremely, extremely talented young point guard who can do it all. So in that sense, I agree, Chris, that he's not the perfect fit. But at the same time, like you put superstar players together, they figure it out, man, right? I think it's also on Ben Simmons to improve his shooting so he can play effectively off ball. It's on Simmons, I think, just as much as it's on Fultz to really get integrated within the offense. I think those guys can work. They both can be great players. They have not exactly been a team that has been scared of duplication. <laughs> I mean, they, they've got Embiid, they had Noel, <laughs> they had Okafor, right? They just keep drafting the same position. Oh, oh! Right. by the way, like I said, you know, trade down for Monk. He hasn't been that great this year, but at the no. same time, like, he's still somebody who's been a rookie. So like it had they done that, people might be saying, why would they have traded down? So, you know, in, in some ways you might lose either way with whatever you do. And the other thing is, what if Tatum goes one? I mean, that's the truth. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. If, if Listen, if you wanted Monk, you could have had Tatum. And I think he would have went one. I think Boston would have t- t- taken Tatum at one if they weren't able to trade down. Right. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some other events of last evening and what has come of those, including a player that has returned to the lineup and has changed the franchise completely, at least for the last week and a half. And Houston's continued dominance. MVP. We'll, We'll be back after these words. Ringer NBA show today brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. With their seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add promo code. Enter the promo code RINGERNBA. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RINGERNBA today. Also want to remind you about the Ringer's YouTube channel. Stepped up our game in 2017 with weekly videos like Cousin Sal's Best Bet, Slow News Day, NBA Desktop, No BS, Table Reads, Director's Commentary, and Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, as well as our video podcast and mini movies like Take Hunter, Ringer 360, and Claytheism. Coming in 2018, a weekly video mailbag from Bill Simmons, Mallory Out of Hat, 
and a slew of other new digital shows. Don't miss anything. Just go to theringer.com slash video. Or even better, please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash theringer. All right, Kevin. So we need to break up the baby bulls. They were three and 20. Nikola Miritich comes back into the lineup. They have now won six in a row. They got the magic tomorrow night. So very easily could be seven in a row. He's averaged 20.3 points, 7.3 rebounds in 26 minutes a game, 52% from the field, 50% from three. And how about this one? I was looking this up this morning. His player efficiency rating, his PER, number one in the league right now is Giannis. Number two, LeBron. Number three, Harden. Number four, Anthony Davis. Number five, Steph Curry. Number six, Clint Capella. And then he does not have enough minutes yet to qualify, but he would be seventh. Nikola Mirotic would be seventh right now in player efficiency rating of all NBA players so far this year. Um, this has been quite the development to see a team that was three and 20 all of a sudden turn around and win six games in a row. Um, I guess the easiest question is, is Nikola Mirotic the greatest player in the world? You know, I think he is. And I think <laughs> Nikola Mirotic has a chance to really become the greatest Chicago Bull of all time. <laughs> I do think there's a chance that, you know, 10 years from now, we're looking back like, man, who's that MJ guy? Nikola Mirotic is, is really the one who, who took this franchise to new heights. Um, and we're seeing that right now with the six-game winning streak. Mirotic... Has really he's he's playing like the the player everybody expected when he first came to the NBA, just draining threes, doing other little things on the floor as well. It's been a joy to watch. Um, it's really cool to see him excelling. And, and last night, you know, I was thinking to myself, and I, and I was like challenging myself. I don't know if I believe this, but what if the Bulls are this year's Miami Heat, where they get off to just a horrific start, and then they just for whatever reason things start to click. Players come back. Players start playing while they elevate their play. Bench players like Nawaba give you know strong contributions. Young players like Chris Dunn start to elevate their game. Maybe Larry Markkinen starts shooting the ball like he did earlier in the season. Um, I think you know what if this team is the Miami the Miami Heat of, of the 2017-18 season? What do you think, Chris? Are they or there's this just like a fluke six game winning streak? The Heat thing was so rare, obviously, with the 10 and 31 and then 31 and 10. And the other thing is the Heat, they were not nearly as bad as they performed the first half of the season. And most of that was because they they lost more games to injury than anybody else. It wasn't a good representation of what they were. They weren't nearly that bad of a team and then just flipped the switch. On the other hand, they also were not as good as they performed the rest of the way. Exactly. And I, and I do think you get the element of, you know, so much of these games, so many times these games, you will see teams come in and I don't want to say not give maximum effort, but frankly, not give maximum effort because the team they're playing sucks. I've seen it over and over again. Right. Especially with the Grizzlies this year. I've gone to the games. Right. And then there'll be teams turn it on when they have to turn it on. They turn it on and then they put you away. And so they may dick around throughout the game. And then when it's time to, you know, the Celtics, I, when I, I just mentioned that Celtics game, they were up like 22, 20, they were up a ton. And then they just screwed around. And then by the time it was time to go win that game, they cranked it up and they went and they got the win. And I think when you do that, 
uh, it happened with the Heat a lot last year. I'm not trying to take away from what they were, but I will say once they got good and their record was still terrible, they still had teams dicking around with them, except they couldn't do that this time around. And so time after time, they'd start catching teams and then it just starts adding up and then they started getting a lot of confidence. And so I think that was just so, so rare. I don't know if we'll ever see somebody, something like that again, where a team loses three-fourths of their games and then wins three-fourths of their games. I, I don't think, no. So do I think the Bulls could be like that? No, because I don't think anybody could be like that. I think yeah. that is like a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. deal. You know, I'm with you, but with that said, I do think, you know, perhaps they're a little bit better than 3-20 and 20, like they were to start the season, There's right? no doubt um, about that. Uh, no doubt. And let's take a step back real quick and give some credit to guys that I've criticized, that a lot of Bulls fans criticize. Fred Hoiberg's coaching the hell out of this team. And Garpax um, really has added some pretty good talent. You look at David Nawaba off the bench, that wasn't an obvious signing, right? Bobby Portis, their draft pick from a couple of years ago, starting to really show signs of becoming a longtime NBA pro. Acquiring Chris Dunn as part of the Jimmy Butler trade. Dunn looks terrific. And what Hoiberg has done helping him improve his three-point shooting, unbelievable. Dunn's shot looks better um, than it has really his entire life, I want to say. Not shooting the three quite as well this season, but he looks great. He's also leading the uh, the NBA in steal percentage, Dunn. I was reading that this morning. He looks terrific, man. And, and you know, he's he's only in his second year. I know people are going to say he's 23, but he's had like a unique road with a lot of injuries in college that kind of set back his development. He's still a young point guard in terms of his development. It, it's... The team deserves a lot of credit, right? I mean, got to give credit where it's due to Garpax in the front office and to Fred Hoiberg for really coaching these dudes. Well, you know, sometimes guys can get their ass beat and it really builds character. How about giving a little credit to Bobby Portis for turning Nikola Mirotic into a superstar? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, turned him into a guy who could, who at least has the upside of becoming better than Michael Jordan. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Hey, Miritich isn't even playing like 40 minutes a night yet, right? He's playing like, what does he play, 26 minutes? Playing 26 minutes a night. Are you trying to say that he can be better than Michael Jordan? <laughs> That's not. I'm saying that they should already just tear down that statue in front of the United Center and replace it with a, <laughs> with a statue, a dual statue of Bobby Portis punching Nikola oh Miritich in the face. That's yeah. what I want. There, there I want must be some it. photo or some video of the moment, right? There has to be something like where you can actually capture the the real moment. But we need that image of that moment where things started to click for Nikola Mirotic and he became better than Michael Jordan. I hope it comes. <laughs> Let's get to uh, what's happened with the Houston Rockets. Oh, boy. 14 straight wins. Chris Paul still undefeated this season. They are winning by an average of 16 points a game. Through this 14-game winning streak, here's just some of the numbers that have gone along with this particular team, Kevin. Offensive real plus minus, obviously the leader in the league is James Harden. His is like 8.69 in how his team performs offensively when he's on the court versus not. The next is Curry at like six and a half points. So <laughs> that's absurd. Then you go, the number one guy in the NBA in terms of offensive rating is Chris Paul. The number one defensive guy in the NBA for defensive rating, Clint Capella. And then Capella, you go through like league leaders, as I did. Capella is leading the league in effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, field goal percentage, and two-point percentage. 
he's leading. He's, he's like, a not, not only is he leading in defensive rating in the NBA, he has a better defensive rating than any player in the NBA. He is also leading in those four offensive categories amongst all NBA players. Listen, it stands to reason that they are having this amazing season. They are this offensive juggernaut, but also their individual players are just littering um, almost every damn category. It's crazy what they have been able to do. Obviously, I was dead wrong about, is it, you know, give it time, let's see if it's going to work. The ultimate test will obviously be the playoffs. But in terms of regular season and their success, I know you were super high on them, and you had that thing pegged because they are <laughs> a friggin' juggernaut. You know, I, I think with Houston, right, last night they trailed by eight with like 10 minutes to go, and then they went on a 37-8 to eight run and won the game by 21 points. And Houston, it seems like every game, you know, during the streak and m- maybe even like in some of their losses, it seems like they have a, a moment where they just, just rip the other team where they just go on an absolute tear offensively and then they're in their half court defense with Capella anchoring with Ariza and Tucker on the wing you know and Paul up top really setting the tone for that team where they just cannot be stopped where they're getting stops offensively and then they can't be stopped offensively the the team just has such upside within games within possessions that there again, it's like we said with Kobe, like we said with Kevin Durant, they collectively are always in games. They're always in a game no matter how far they're down. And that makes them a threat, right? Um, that make, that gives them a chance to beat a team like the Warriors in the playoffs. Doesn't mean they will, but they have a shot at it. And um, they are just an absolute joy to watch. And they're only going to get better, man. Chris Paul and James Harden still haven't played a lot of games together. Those guys are still going to learn how to play at a higher level together. When I was watching them last week against Charlotte, I started tweeting some things out because I'm watching the game. They had one point through about three minutes and 40 seconds, almost four minutes into the game. They had one point in the first quarter. And I'm watching. I'm like, Wow, this is crazy, right? Like, when was the last time they went four minutes scoring a point, right? They ended the quarter with 38. 38. And I went and did the quick math, and that means for the last, whatever, eight minutes of the quarter, they scored 4.35 points per minute the rest of the way, like, which is just outrageous. Wow. So I tweet, I tweet this out, and I get in this discussion with uh, Duncan Smith, who covers the Detroit Pistons. And he he tweets me and he says something to the effect of, like, we very rarely have seen anything like this offensively. We have n- never seen anything like this. I went and pulled it up. We really haven't. As of this morning, they have had, through at least the first 29 games, the best offensive team in NBA history. Their offensive rating is 116.1 so far this year. Second is the 86-87 Lakers. Third is the 1617 Warriors, fourth, 9192 Bulls, fifth, 8788 Celtics. They're seriously the best offense ever through 29 games. <laughs> which is which is just absurd. 
52% of their shot attempts are threes. So over half of their shot attempts are threes. They, they are, they're not only a dominant offense, but they are such a unique offense. They are so, it's so different watching Houston compared to every other team. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously teams are shooting threes at a league high rate historically this season with around 34% of shots being three pointers. And I, and I wonder at what point do we see a team kind of replicate exactly what Houston's doing in terms of their shot distribution or will Houston always be a light outlier or are they kind of the blueprint for how teams will build moving forward I'm not sure I mean it's hard to say like there's been teams historically that shot a lot lot more threes compared to the rest of um, the league like some early Sonics teams the Celtics in the early 2000s obviously the Suns um, there's been other teams that have taken a lot of threes but Houston is doing it at such an extreme level I wonder when other teams start just following what they're doing or is it because you know houston has the ability to do it based on their personnel but that that's if you want to play that style you're going to build that way i'm interested to see okay uh, this is when i'll tell you when they will when they're in the finals or they win a title that's when people will otherwise there will be enough people out there that say when you get to the highest level like last year where they had this serious refusal to take anything in the mid-range against San Antonio, and they ran up against a team that was willing to just totally run them off the line all the time, and that's what they dedicated themselves to, that unless they can do it and pull it off at the highest level by playing that way, people will not go all in to replicate. I hope Houston can sustain it into the playoffs. Like I know, I know I said this about Tibbs a couple weeks ago, but like D'Antoni played basically a seven-man rotation last night. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody, everybody played 34 plus minutes except for Ryan Anderson, who played 19, and Tarek Black, who played three. So I, I hope that they can sustain it and that these guys don't get tired. And I, and I, 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 that's that's my hope. I hope at some point he kind of expands his rotation to 10 during the regular season. Um, but D'Antoni has never done that. Um, really, he's always played a short rotation, and it, it wouldn't be surprising if that continues. But I hope they can sustain it. I hope they can because this team is such a joy to watch. Uh, and speaking to your uh, how extreme it is three-point shooting-wise, I mentioned that right now they would be at the top of the list of the best offenses ever through their 29 games. Also with that, you have that 16-17 Warriors team that took a tick over 2,500 threes in the season, okay? The second most three-pointers taken amongst those top five offenses is Houston this year, and they have played 29 games, Kevin. <laughs> They have taken Wild, more. Th- they have taken Wild. more threes amongst those top five offenses. I mean, think about this. And I get it. They take a lot more than teams used to. But here, those top five offenses that I read off: eighty six, eighty seven Lakers, sixteen, seventeen Warriors, ninety one, ninety two Bulls, eighty seven, eighty eight Celtics. These were the three point attempts for the entire season. I already mentioned that the Warriors took twenty five hundred. Okay. 86-87 Lakers, 447. The Chicago Bulls, 454. The Celtics in 87-88, 705. The Rockets have already taken 1,254 threes in 29 games. Almost three times as many as the 86-87 Lakers. <laughs> and they've played 29 games! 
What is that? Man. Like that's games change so much. It's I don't wild. even know. I don't I don't even know. I need to go look at it. Let me pull. I'm not I'm not good enough at the math off the top of my head to pull this off. But let's see. If you've got let's see what they're averaging. If you got 1254, right? And I told you they play 29 games. 43 threes a game. It's insane. It's like JJ Reddick said on his podcast last week or it was with Towns. Um, there's been really two big changes in the NBA, you know, in his time in the NBA and really, really this entire century, right? Since the year 2000. The one of them is the rise of the three point shooting, you know, right? The amount of fr- the frequency teams are shooting threes. And the other is the influx of this, just these freakish big men who can shoot threes, play on the perimeter. Though those, those two things are kind of changed the game, um, but it's the three-point shooting more than anything else that I think has changed the way we view this game, changed what's important in this game, what should be valued, um, how teams should build. It, it, I love it. I, I love basketball right now more than I ever have. I think it's a prettier game more than it ever has been in my lifetime watching it. Um, I know, like I, I, I'm only 27 years old now, so like I didn't see like 80s basketball. Um, but I think aesthetically, the game is is more beautiful than ever right now than it is just with the amount of passing and the spacing. It, it it's it's unbelievable to watch. And and Houston Houston is that weird unique team um, that maybe other teams follow or they just take this beauty to the extreme. But um, it's it, it's so fun to watch. All right, last last thing. Let's touch on two guys and how they could change teams' fortunes going forward. One is Isaiah Thomas. So uh, Sham Sharania reported that he's coming back at the beginning of January. And then Isaiah tweeted something out yesterday about Cavs guard Isaiah Thomas is targeting the first week of April to make his debut. League sources tell IT. Like, I just got confused. I didn't even know. Uh, what was that about? Do you know? Oh, Isaiah is basically just knocking all the people who said he wouldn't be back till April, I think. Isaiah's oh, just okay, you know, kind, okay. of, kind of being petty in a way. <laughs> okay, all right. Shams is right. He he, he wasn't dismissing okay. Shams's extremely okay. accurate report. Okay, <laughs> he was just poking poking fun at everybody else. <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't remember that people were saying April. I think he just threw April out there. People were people were just saying like he might not be uh, back till March or he might not be back at all. You know what? What if he gets hurt again? The Cavs have been rocking, and they're about to put him in that lineup. Oh boy! <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. He like okay. led the league in fourth quarter scoring, and he was like a thirty point per game guy. And I mean, you think about the upgrade that they'll be making at the position, putting him in there, and they've won, you know, damn near every game for the last six weeks. That um, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Cavs look like uh, with him in the mix, because that has been the, you know, we have seen on the other side. Obviously, the Kyrie thing has worked out unbelievably. Uh, Isaiah Thomas famously wrote in the Players Tribune that Boston is going to regret this, and so now, you know, listen. The immediate uh, result is like, hey, I don't think Boston's going to regret this, right? Kyrie Irving's been unbelievable; they've had the best <laughs> record in the league. But you never know. I mean, in the end, it will all be determined by playoff time. That's how we will end up making final judgment on all this stuff. But I am very fascinated to see how he fits in within that Cavs context and how devastating offensively they could be. You know, I I think with that trade, they wouldn't have made the trade if Isaiah Thomas didn't have health concerns. I mean, that Mm -hmm. factored into the decision. That's why the deal was able to be made because Isaiah statistically was probably better than Kyrie Irving during the regular season last season. Um, But that's, but that's kind of the other side of the conversation where it's like, how much do you value regular season data 
against playoff data because in the playoffs, Isaiah's efficiency dropped um, consistently the past three seasons in the playoffs. And that's not necessarily a knock against Isaiah. It was partially due to his circumstances, partially due to the fact he's playing with an injury. But that's something that you weigh, right? Whereas Kyrie Irving has played at the highest level in the most intense moments against the best defense, um, like with Golden State, he's had he's had unbelievable games. You know, he did against Boston last year, and I believe game two or three, whatever it was, when he just went off in the second or third quarter. Uh, Kyrie has done it against the best defenders and the best defenses in the clutchest moments. So, h- how much do you weigh that against high level regular season performance? I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not sure how how you weigh that, but I do know that with Kyrie's proven ability in the playoffs, that make that makes him better than Isaiah. But that doesn't mean that Isaiah can't elevate his play in the same situation that Kyrie did if he's able to stay healthy. So that'll be fascinating to see. Well, and we also have to remember, much like the other guy I'm going to mention here, it's a contract here for Isaiah. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of money on the line in terms of how he plays when he comes back. The other one that's in the contract year that's going to be coming back and he's now almost done rehabbing in the G League is Jabari Parker, who I thought had big time star potential. Um, the kid has had the, the, the worst luck ever in terms of injuries in the first four years of his career, but you're bringing him back and you're adding him into that mix with a different Giannis than we have ever seen before, and now they've added Eric Bledsoe, and you're talking about throwing him in there with Bledsoe and Middleton and Giannis and him, and then whoever else you want to throw out there with them. I think you know it's going to be very fascinating to see what the Bucks look like and how he fits in uh, with this Bucks team because I was super high on him. You just never know what the kid's Me going too. to look like after another injury, but. You also know he's in a contract year too, so his performance is going to, like there's millions of dollars on the line regarding his performance and how he does fit in with the Bucks. Yeah, you nailed it there, Chris, where, you know, uh, it, there there will be a time where it, it's it's going to be an adjustment for him to fit into their current con- con- uh, team construct. But at the same time, like you're adding a legitimate 20 points per game score. I think it helps them. You know, I think, I think one of the interesting parts that I, I was thinking about this morning is, you know, Jake Fisher from Sports Illustrated had an article about what happened to the debates, Brandon Ingram versus Ben Simmons. Like that date, that debate kind of just disappeared. And so hasn't the Andrew Wiggins versus Jabari Parker debate that that has vanished. I mean, usually like people we talked about with Kobe, we opened the show talking about people always argue about whether he's the best or not. People love debating these players. With with Parker versus Wiggins, that has kind of just disappeared. I don't know if it's because Parker's gotten hurt, torn two ACLs, and Wiggins really hasn't turned anything into anything like the player we expected him to be. Maybe that's why. But at the same time, I'm still a little bit surprised there's still not more of a conversation of like which guy would you rather have. And for me, it's still Jabari Parker. Like it's always been. It could not be easier for me. Prior to the last injury, a hundred percent I'd take Parker. Prior to the last injury. Oh, it's still, now, I don't yeah. I got to see what he looks like now, right? I got to see what he looks like. Is he a is he a percentage of what he used to be, or is he what he used to be? If he is what he used to be, I still want him over Wiggins. Yeah, 
it's Parker for me too. I mean, I, I hate that we agree on this, but it's it was Parker for me before the draft. It's been Parker for me during his career. It's still Parker for me now. Like Andrew Wiggins is a quality player, but at the same time, like he still hasn't brought the scoring efficiency or the the go to scoring upside like that you want to see. Like he shows flashes of it, but he just it's so frustrating because you know it's there he just hasn't put it at all together whereas parker i just think he's a better scorer um and it's not like wiggins makes up for it and defensively like he can so there's a theoretical difference there but it he doesn't he doesn't put it out there for the world to see in the defensive end whereas parker i just think man if he stays healthy dude if he can stay healthy his scoring ability is just unbelievable his size and his fluidity i mean it's rare to see a guy that big and that strong move the way Jabari Parker can. And look at the other two. I mean, imagine if he's never injured, and you're talking about three in a row that Kay would have had at Duke with Parker, then Ingram, and then Tatum. My God. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, a good, that's a good point. Three wings in a row. I mean, he clearly he clearly got the guys. There's That's for sure. I mean, obviously... It's kind of a scam that he gets to run USA basketball and then just feed them all into Duke. That's that's neither <laughs> yeah, here nor it, there. It, it, and then Marvin Bagley this year too, right? Yeah, Another right, one coming, Bagley, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. So much for Coach K not recruiting one and done players and just having <laughs> yeah. all four year guys. That's gone away real quick. Yeah, he had to bounce on that one. That's for sure. I mean, otherwise, otherwise, yeah. Calipari. <laughs> Cal, well, it's kind of hard when Calipari was coming out in the news and he was saying like, "We want all of you." <laughs> No. I, I know. Listen, I don't. I don't I care know. if you're going to be here for a year. My job's to get you to the NBA. You know. <laughs> oh. Oh. And by the way, like with this is a total aside, but with Coach Cal in Kentucky, I wish he didn't get as many guys as he did sometimes because it's annoying that Carl Anthony Towns goes an entire season not really shooting threes or even spacing the floor. It's annoying when Devin Booker isn't running pick and roll. Like these are young players who need these reps and need that player development for the next level. And they're not getting it at these schools that are stacked with players. And that's not even a fault against coach Cal necessarily, but I wish these guys could get that opportunity. Well, he has a, he has a theory on what he wants his big guys to do, right? They are like Bam Adebayo is perfect for him because he wants you to rebound and play good defense and block shots or whatever. I mean, I covered his teams at Memphis for years and years and guys that weren't like that. He just destroyed them that we had a kid named Earl Barron who ended up having an NBA career and he was on the heat teams there for a while. Um, but I mean, Earl was just not what he wanted as a, well, as a as a big guy, right? And it just happened a few years ago with another kid that I've known forever, Skull Labissier. Skull's not a, you know, get down in the paint and, you know, kill you for rebounds. And and Skull had a very disappointing freshman year and went a lot lower in the draft than everybody thought he was going to go when he first went into college. But it's just, you know, when you it made me think of it when you brought up Towns and like shooting from outside or facing up more, that's just not what he wants his big guys to be as a way that he wants them to play. And he wants it doesn't tough matter, and rugged. Though. But no. who cares? You you have a player. It's it's on the coach to coach the player for who he is. I mean, you can you can try to change him in some ways, but with oh, Carl Towns, he should have been shooting threes. He's had that ability his oh, entire life. The fact you take him. that away from him is just weird to me. 
That's just not him. It's not him, but I think it's a shame that it's not. He wants toughness and he wants dogs. That's it. You can get both. You can get both. You don't have to necessarily take the three-pointer away from the player or take pick and roll away from Devin Booker. I'm not even like, it's not my fault with Coach Cal. He has a system, right? He's a good coach, mm-hmm. whatever. And he's a great recruiter. It's the whole college basketball system where it's like so many guys aren't getting the type of reps that they need to be getting at that age. That That's kind of my problem with it, where it's like, how can Devin Booker go an entire season running only like 10 pick and rolls? That's outrageous to me. The last thing is uh, we bragged so much on this particular rookie class, and I know you're always keeping up with what's going on in college basketball in terms of the upcoming draft and which of these guys is going to you know, maybe change the fortunes for the next NBA franchise. I had mentioned Colin Sexton to you, the kid of Bama that I loved a couple of weeks ago. Here's another one that I have not heard you talk about yet, or I don't guess anybody has, right? At least on a podcast. Did, have you seen this kid at Oklahoma? My God, Trey Young, Trey Young, good <laughs> grief! He is like he looks like, like Steph. <laughs> it's like friggin' Curry. It really is like Curry. I'm like, my jeez, Louise, who is this? Like, they got really another crazy. Steph Curry. Yeah, I recommend to anybody listening to us, you know, d- this deep into the podcast. And thank you if you are. But after the podcast is over, just go to go to YouTube, type in Trey Young, T R A E Young, and watch this dude's highlights. He's like the college version of Stephen Curry. It's really, really fun to watch him play basketball. Oklahoma has been because of Trey Young. Oklahoma has been must watch TV. Kevin, have an unbelievable Christmas and New Year. This is our last episode till 2018. So have a great Christmas. Have a good New Year. Thank you to all of you that listen to us on a regular basis. We want to wish you happy holidays and a happy New Year. Also, there will be some content and some NBA podcasts, including uh, Bill Simmons doing one next week post-Christmas. But we are off till the end of the year. So have a good one, Kev. You too, Chris. And thank you so much for everybody listening. Love y'all. Thank you. Thank you to everybody that listened to us throughout 2017. We'll be back in 2018. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you in 2018.